Welcome back, friends, and well, Happy New Year. I guess this is technically the second show of the year, but it's the first time I'm doing an interview this year. So Happy New Year to y'all and Happy New Year to my guest. He is my, uh, well, he's not my former compatriot. He's still my compatriot, but he's my former partner in Lions of Liberty, where he still podcasts away over on the show, Finding Freedom. I'm very pleased to welcome John Odermatt. John, welcome to the Mark Claire Show. Finally, after after all of these episodes, finally you invited me on. It's it's an honor to be here, Mark. And uh, I don't know if, if anyone has told you this, but your your new your your logo, which it's like t- the top part of your face, was it inspired by uh, Tool Time with uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor and his conversations you know, it, with his it, with his neighbor? It was not, but now that you say it, I can completely see it, and I think I'm going to start saying that it was inspired by that. Awesome. I like or it. that it was inspired by me in a strange sort of time loop. But maybe we can get into that time travel type stuff in this mug filter room. We'll see. Yeah, let's we'll do see. it. Uh, but John, I wanted to start off actually, you know, you and I, for people that don't know, you and I go way back, much further back than podcasting. We've known each other since college, which for me, let's just say it's uh, been a number of decades or so. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, yeah. And I mean, going back to college, I think there was probably some political talk and whatnot back then. But one thing I don't think I ever discussed with you, really, you've talked about it a little bit over the years and as I've gotten to know you, but certainly not back in those days. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your upbringing as it pertains to uh, religion and how you saw religion as you were growing up and maybe at the time we knew each other in college and maybe a little bit into how that's evolved uh, today. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I've talked about it a, a little bit, but probably haven't gone into extensive depth. So yeah, ha- happy to do that. Um, so I was raised in a uh, Presbyterian household. So my my mother is Presbyterian. My father is raised Catholic, but like many Catholics, especially I want to just pause to- you right there because I don't. I'm so not understanding the different variations of Christianity. That yeah. although I've heard the term many times, I have no idea what a Presbyterian really is in relation to you know other strands of Christianity. So maybe you can just inform me on that a bit. Yeah, I'll probably do a poor job informing okay. that. And somebody, this whole show somebody, is people <laughs> explaining things poorly. So <laughs> who knows better? Will will correct me? But um, yeah, so I'll, I'll get into what Presbyterian is in a minute. But just to finish okay. uh, finish that thought there. Uh, so so my dad was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, but like so many Catholics, um, you know, you kind of turn against it. Um, at least from what I've seen in my anecdotal um, experience. So my, my father didn't um, really go to church with us often other than, uh, you know, Christmas, Easter, and and those those landmark uh, occasions when a lot of Christians come out of uh, retirement and, and, and attend the service. Uh, the Presbyterian church, you know, it's split during the, during the Reformation, Martin Luther, um, there, there was a split in the church and uh, religions like, uh, um, Presbyterianism, um, Lutheran. Um, what's, what's another one? Uh, what's the Church of England? I'm trying to remember the name. Well, there's Episcopalian, which comes from the Anglican, which would be the Church of England. And so, yeah, and I, I was actually Anglican for, for a little while. Um, that's the church that my wife and I got married in. But anyway, to get back to uh, being raised Presbyterian. So I was, I, was, I mean, I was very active in you know, my church growing up, um, went to youth group. Um, I don't know if I've really talked to you about this, but I know I've, I've talked about it on, on my show a little bit. Um, uh, people are always surprised by it though. I, I was on a, on a handbell ringing team in, uh, in high school. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you mention that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it was, I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And, 
like the the group of you know guys and girls that we had in high school um, that were a lot of fun to be around. And it was really less of the you know the handbell ringing and you know doing these performances, and more of just like the social element and and hanging out. What which what was, uh, is handbell ringing? You just it's just like a a musical performance of ringing bells. Yeah, or? It's, it's, it's a musical performance and. You call it a team, you know, so is it is it trust structured like a sport in some way? <laughs> or well, you just like I mean, they call it everything a team nowadays. Okay, if you're right. in corporate America, people are like, well, my team of engineers and my team of this or that. But um, it's not like you're not competing. We didn't All go right. to competition. So it wasn't it wasn't a team in, in that That's regard. That's unfortunate. It should be are, a competition. Yeah. yeah, there probably are and were competitions, though. But maybe we just weren't Maybe it's not enough. too late to pick up handbell ringing at this age. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... It's, it's a, we can talk about this off air, but it's something to think about. That's all I'm saying. What? Yeah, it's probably not. I mean, there are adult handball ringing teams, but I mean, it's, it's like you would imagine it. There's maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not like you would imagine. Maybe you're imagining something I totally never imagined different. until today, but... but I imagine a lot of bells and a lot of camaraderie. That's, that's yeah, what I'm seeing. A lot of bells and, uh, you know, the way that we would do it would have like two very large tables, maybe, I don't know, 15 feet long and you'll be split on like either side of the church. You'll have the the smaller bells, the the higher notes on the one side, and the larger bells, the uh, the lower notes on the other side. Were you a large bell? I was. Yeah, I figured. Most because I wasn't. It'd be weird to have a really tall guy. I mean, I don't know if you're tall th- at that age, but it'd be weird to have a I tall was, guy yeah. with like the smallest bell. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you, you, I mean, regardless, you needed to have someone that could lift up the huge bells because they would be like as big as your your head to be able to ring them. But you would ring them less frequently, so it was it was a lot easier too because you'd only have to ring like. I don't know, like 10 times during a song. But, um, you know, we had a conductor that would do his conductor things. And we had some student conductors who were especially um, good at the handbell ringing. Um, the most talented um, handbell ringers were on the, you know, the the higher notes, the smaller bells, you know, that have to ring, you know, more, more into rhythm. And essentially what we're doing is reading sheet music and you'll ring your bell when your um, note was circled, um, which... You would just get used to it. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy at the time to do it that way, but that was the way we did it. And um, I mean, we we were good. I mean, I don't know if we were like very good because I didn't hear too many other handball ringing teams, but we would, you know, locally Our travel around. Told us to, like, we were great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone told us we were great. Uh, we would travel around to, you know, local nursing homes, stuff like that, local churches and, and perform. But the cool thing was my... I guess that was junior year in high school. We went to Scandinavia. So we went to Iceland, Norway, Sweden, and we rang in churches there. And that was crazy because like at some of these churches, like our bus would pull up and we'll get off the bus and there'll be all these people standing there clapping. And it kind of, you know, you know, gave you a little bit of an ego that it was Scandinavian villages are just like awaiting your arrival. It seemed that way. Um, I'm sure it wasn't that way. I'm sure it was just the the ego we we had of being invited to uh, like all around the world. All these you know Nords and various Scandinavian towns are are just they've heard the lore, they've heard the tales of John Oderman and his handbell ring team, and now they've arrived. I mean, it's got to be a magical day. Exactly. I mean, we're just a bunch of teenagers at the time, so we wanted to do teenager things as well. And we'll stay in these like host homes of the you know the local church there would would put us up with families. And you know, we're at the time seventeen, eighteen. So in these countries in Scandinavia, you could you know you could buy alcohol, and um, you know a lot of us are you know drinking beer for the first time. So it wasn't really like that sort of you know church experience. It's kind of what I'm getting at. It was more of just like the social camaraderie of it, like. 
you know, I, I can speak for myself. You know, I, at that time, I definitely did believe in God, but I didn't have any sort of faith developed. Um, I didn't have any sort of, um, you know, relationship with God developed in where I was reading the Bible and, uh, uh, you know, what, what I believe, and we can get more into it later, but that's really how, you know, how I communicate with Jesus, with God is through, you know, the word, through, through his word, through reading the Bible. I had, had none of that back then. We memorized, you know, passages and you'll have to do that for, for confirmation. But I mean, just like any other sort of memorization in public schools, you don't learn anything. You don't really dig into, you know, what do these words mean? What's the context? You know, what's the, uh, you know, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what's what, what came before that? Let's go back and look at that and see what they're actually talking about with this uh, passage in the Bible. There was none of that like uh, study, but it was a fun time. And that's, and that's really what it was for me growing up, going to church. I, I, I enjoyed it. it, enjoyed my time doing that. But, you know, as I progressed and as I went to college, I, I did have this little bit of a, you know, conception of that there's, it was a misconception, you know, looking back on the time in hindsight that, well, in order to be a good Christian, I had to behave a certain way. And like the internal struggle I had in college was, well, you know, there's all these other people doing these things and I want to see what everyone else is doing and experience this. It's Mark I don't Clark guy, behave. he's having a blast. I mean. <laughs> exactly. It's, this guy's walking around with a, uh, I don't with think a box I of wine on a Tuesday night. Like, what does he know <laughs> about life that I need to find out? But... <laughs> It was it was it was wild times in college, and you know not everything that happened am I proud of, but you know it's that's that's kind of life as you're navigating the world growing that's interesting up. Interesting to um, know though that that you did have like maybe a little bit of an internal struggle. Not that we were doing anything truly horrible. I don't think we did anything that any normal college kid wasn't doing, drinking right. and partying and this sort of thing. But you did have a little bit of an internal struggle. Like, is this is this not how I'm supposed to be acting? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. There, there was definitely um, definitely some of that, and. What I didn't understand, which I understand now, is that like when you do, you know, commit yourself to to God, to Jesus, when you accept, you know, Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and Savior, you don't like do it in the order of, well, I got to get my life this way, I got to start acting this way, I need to start behaving this way, I need to, you know, I need to stop drinking, I need to stop all this. You don't have to do that. You can just go directly to Him, and through that relationship that's how you change um, through, through God changing you. Um, and I really, I really had no understanding of, of that aspect of Christianity. And a lot of that change is obviously not easy. And you're, you're going to need to lean on that relationship with God as, as you are changed, as, as relationships change in your life. But one notable thing did happen during college. This was after your time. So we only, we, I guess we were only in college together for one year. Is that right? Or were you there? I, the, I believe two, but I, I was gone for a semester of it because I, I spent a semester in England. So probably, probably we really only overlapped where we actually were, you know, where you weren't pledging in our fraternity, you know, where you're yeah. actually there together probably for an actual year. Yeah. Cause I think I went, I left for the semester after you first came in. Really? How did yeah. I, I just don't remember that, I guess. That's just, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a long list of blank spots, I'm sure. So <laughs> I guess it happened. wasn't important because I haven't heard you talk about going to England. <laughs> I guess that I wasn't often. missed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there was a, you know, Dory and I would have our, our weekly meetings. We called them Bromo. I don't 
really remember what the uh, the Mo part stands for. Yeah, brothers, was, I mean, it was the brothers meeting, but I guess uh, the Mo. I, I guess we're shortening <laughs> meeting to Mo. I guess that's what we did. Yeah, meeting that sounds about right. Organi- organ organizing. I don't know. Um, anyway. So yeah, during this time, typically you talk about you know all the uh, the business of the house. You know, Brian McWilliams would would sit there. He was he was risk management chair. Brian McWilliams, you know, of Lions of Liberty. Um, just a very interesting casting role for him. Would just get yeah, <laughs> <laughs> would just get he would just get angry about everything that happened in the house, and nobody would care what he said. But anyway, <laughs> what I'm the point I'm getting to is during one of these meetings, there was a uh, a guy who was invited in to. Uh, not really speak to the uh, to the you know to the chapter, but to offer you know the the chance to join a, a Bible study. And this guy walked in. His name was Roger Hershey, and he comes in and says a couple you know sentences. We have this on campus. Some you know helping fraternity guys and sorority girls to uh, you know join this Bible study. If if anyone's interested, he passed around a sheet of paper. I honestly don't know if anyone else put their name on it, but. I mean, that's something that, that I was looking for and definitely needing at that time. And I put my name down and uh, over the course of really the, the rest of my time there, I think this probably happened my junior year. I was there for, for five years. So I guess my first junior year, if you want to look at one it that way. One of the slow way. ones, huh? Well, I took a semester off. So it was only one extra semester. Um, but still, yeah. Um, a lot of late drops. You know how, you know how late drops go. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> But yeah, so um, I ended up meeting with Roger several times. Great guy. I did. I did join a Bible study, but um, Roger was the first person to really help me to understand um, that connection, that relationship with God that can help you grow as a person and and grow towards uh, becoming more like Jesus and not relying on like doing this, changing myself in order to become a Christian or doing all of these good works in order to become a Christian, um, which is really what a lot of the Catholic faith faith is. It's all tied up in, you need to do these works. You need to do these um, um, different, uh, you know, contributions uh, or d- donations to the church in order to be in the right um, footing um, with, uh, with God. So I got an under, finally for the first time, an understanding of that, um, you know, I didn't hear it and automatically, you know, become this Christian where I was totally changed. For me, it's been a very slow um, progression over time, which I'm, I'm learning is, is a lot more common than I thought. I mean, I think with with Christians, and maybe this is the fault of you know, a lot of you know Christian churches, is they kind of push forward these stories of like really rapid and unbelievable changes in people's lives, you know, which are great. Um, overcoming addiction or, you know, coming out of, you know, being homeless and having all, all sorts of uh, sorts of problems. Um, th- those stories are, are fantastic, but I feel like the, the journey of a lot of Christians is a lot more, maybe, maybe less, uh, less fantastic and just sort of closer to a, a, a maybe not a lifelong, it really is a lifelong journey, but the, the changes take more than just, uh, you know, a couple days. They they, they take uh, months months and years to uh, to occur. I think for for a lot of Christians. So um, that that's that's really where I found myself in that progression. And then really the the second biggest landmark for me was um, meeting um, my, my now wife when we met in two thousand eight. 
We actually met at Penn State, both went to Penn State, but we'd graduated at that time. Um, and we met during the uh, Arts Fest. And which you know, for those that don't know, her, yes, there is art, I suppose, but it's really just when people come back to Penn State to the main campus yeah. in the summer and drink and party. And her friends were there to look at the art. In fairness, I, I guess was there not are there probably some. I guess there are probably some people that actually just go for art, but our ilk was typically not among them. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, so we met. I mean, we met in a bar. We met in the saloon, which unfortunately I think is another one of the many bars in State College, which is no longer in, in operation. Know. Sadly, That's so sad. Um, it many, was a disgusting. Uh, many board. a weird time at the saloon. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think everyone can kind of share some <laughs> some weird stories about things that happened at the saloon. Probably the most disgusting bathroom in all Ugh. of uh, State College, Pennsylvania. They, just, they're the uh, ones that just had the, the like the tub that you'd share with everybody. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, legitimately yeah. just a, a tub that, that you peed in, and not you great know, for the pee shy. I'll tell you that. Who knows what you would f- see floating in that tub <laughs> from. From vomit to to God this knows place what. legitimately. Now this is 1998, so I'm sure there's been a little inflation, and now it's not there anymore. But this place had these pitchers of alcohol called Monkey mm-hmm. Boys. Lord knows what was in these. Probably like every kind of liquor, but they what? However, they mix it, it tasted like candy. And us being broke, and these things were like three dollars a pitcher. So we would get like one of these each. I'm pretty sure, and just destroy oh, them. And you can imagine the uh, the nonsense that would often ensue. Oh, yeah. And you didn't need more than like two of them to be. You probably didn't need more than a sip in reality. But yeah, we had more than that for sure. Well, yeah, I I think you didn't need any. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't need it at all, per se. But for what we were looking to do at the time, that that's what that's what met our uh, our wants. It got the job done, but it was efficient fiscally. Exactly. Exactly. Economic men we were. Um, So I met I met Nicole and I mean, that really meeting her and you know through because nicole really had had a strong faith at at that time um and starting to go back to church with her and finding a church together that we ended up getting married in which was an anglican church um which i would say anglican brings in more of the um catholic type traditions than a uh Presbyterian church. Maybe that's not the best way to say that, but there's more recited prayers, things like that. Um, But also it was very new age in that there was a band that played and and sang Christian music. So, um, which was very different from my upbringing in the Presbyterian church, Presbyterian church, the one that I went to had the, the organ at the front and you, and you sang, sang hymns and, and all of that. So it, it was very different for me to see, uh, a very, I would say, uh, very conservative worship in a Presbyterian church growing up in where people would sing very monotonely. No one's raising their hands up. You know, n- nobody's, nobody's, you know, doing anything um, that would seem out of the ordinary. And you go into, this was like one more step into the Anglican church where there was a little bit more of that with have, having this, you know, having a band there. You're seeing people raise their arms up and you're like, well, this is different. I've never seen anything like this before. I did see some of that. Um, I did go to a couple of events when I was at Penn State. Um, it was called uh, Crusade, um, Crew for short, uh, Crusade for Christ, which there would be, you know, that type of Christian music there where I did see that. And honestly, I'd never, it was, 
really a situation where I'd never seen anything of that before. I'm like, this is kind of different and weird. I don't know what this is. And that was really my experience in college with the Bible study. I did get some out of it, but I never really connected with anybody like um, one-on-one. I didn't meet anyone I would call a friend. So I didn't have like that element. It seemed like a lot of people already had like established friendships and friend groups. These guys aren't drinking monkey boys. What's going on here? Exactly. Yeah, I didn't. And maybe that's my own fault. You know, I was I was looking to to relate on the monkey boy friendship I mean, level rather that probably than was like some aspect of it. You come so used to relating to people on basically just the uh, the idea of consuming this substance that gets us silly. Yeah, no, that's I think there's a lot to that, man. And I think that that's something that, you know, not that I've struggled with per se, but I mean, it's I'm drunk right now like, just because I had to get into the right zone to talk to you. And I totally understand. Yeah, I've, it's something <laughs> I've had to learn, like. Because, it, yeah, during college, I was, yeah, a lot of the time when I was in social situations, be it, you know, just hanging out with friends, fraternity brothers, or trying to, you know, meet girls, things like that, I had to be in that state of mind in order to do that because that's how I learned to do that. And that's what I thought was normal. And um, it, it, it turns out there's a whole other part of the society out there that isn't doing that and isn't meeting people that way. Um, I mean, not to, you know, be sound all high and mighty against, you know, drinking and having a good time. I, I think I think there's definitely a place for that. But if it's like every social interaction I have needs to have that element, I think that can be um a, a little bit a little bit dangerous and it can't be abused. So uh, I think there's I think there's a lot to that. I mean uh, to be honest, I mean I was I was kind of shy in high school. I didn't I wasn't really the one to have the confidence to go up to girls and whatnot. And going to college, drinking sort of, you know, obviously loosened me up and enabled me to do things that I couldn't do before, which maybe in a sense mm-hmm. is good because it did make me more social. I met a lot of people that I'm still friends with that I'm now podcasting with. So maybe I can't say it's all bad necessarily, but I do think yeah. I carried over into adulthood, uh, probably leaning on alcohol and leaning on that as my go-to for social interaction. If I was going to, I wasn't going to go up to a girl sober. Are you kidding me? No, that happens at a bar when I've had a number of drinks and I probably had to go pre-drinking. And then if I did meet a girl and go on a date, you're damn right. I was having a drink or two before I went on that date. So I do, I do think about that. I mean, now, like how much, how reliant I did for a long time become on alcohol, um, even extending out outside yeah. of college. Yeah, when I was when I was meeting girls in college, it wasn't during class. Which, no. in hindsight, I should have been, been. Yeah, like why, why, why wasn't I? But uh, yeah, it was it was in this you know, the window where I was in that state of mind where you know yeah I had that confidence. So yeah, hundred percent. I'm on the same page with you there, but yeah. So I guess the the rest of my um, journey as a Christian until now, uh, my wife and I did. Yeah, we got married in the Anglican Church, um, and then we joined after our daughter was born. The, the, that Anglican Church was like 30 minutes from our house, which got pretty tough commute to to make with a with a little baby. So when she started going to preschool. The church that we found had a had a great preschool, um, so that kind of you know things just lined up, and we ended up attending there. It's called called the Bible Chapel, and it's only like ten minutes from our house. It's a huge church. It's not like mega church levels that you see, like uh, Joel Olstein and those types of people. It's not quite. It's not that big. It's not like it's not like a stadium, but it is large. It is like an auditorium. I, I, I would say size, maybe, you know, a few hundred people are, are in there um, worshiping on a, on a Sunday. 
Um, there is a you know a band playing. There, there is definitely that element of it. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with just the size of it because it wasn't something that that I was used to. But especially in the last year here, and my, my wife kind of led the way on this again. She first found um, you know some Bible studies with other moms in the church that she started attending, which kind of inspired me um, to find some uh, you know s- some some men Bible studies. And I've been I've been attending one for uh, I guess going on six months now, which has been which has been really cool and also interesting during this time where I have a hard time understanding and relating to a lot of um, Christians with their views on what's happening in Israel, not to like derail the conversation, but I I feel like just a lot of, a lot of Christians fall back on, what is written in the Bible? What is supposed to happen? And I'm not an expert on this, so don't ask me to go into detail on it because I, I won't know. I won't know it exactly. But what's supposed to happen? You know, during Revelations with regards to the, um, you know, the nation of Israel, and I think a lot of Christians fall in this trap that well, for that to happen, it has to be this way. We have to make it this way. There has to be this this nation of Israel that that, that we have to that we have to back. And it kind well, of seems like, like such a wild idea to me as a uh, as a non Christian. I guess I, I looking from outside it, to my view would be like, well, okay, if if certain things are supposed to unfold in some sort of certain way, exactly. are you really gonna outthink God and try to force it along <laughs> and trick Him? Be like, oh, you're gonna do this a thousand years from now? No, no, no. We just did a whole Israel thing, so you're gonna do it now. Like, if if you yeah, it's, if, you're, it's, if you're following the line of of thought, we're talking about God here. So who the fuck do you think you're gonna fool? <laughs> it's crazy. Exactly. It's it, it's it's tantamount to those people who who kind of and there's people out there who think this way because I've had conversations with them, like, well, you know, God saw me going to church, you know, a couple times in the past so year. Cool. Who's gonna hold that in my favor? I'm like, are you really are you thinking this through? Like you I think left God church just... and beat my wife and went to the strip club <laughs> and this and that, but he saw the morning part and I'm sure he's cool with that. Like so, I, I don't know, and I, I think. I, I, th- I think it's a big, it's a hard thing for, for Christians to, to deal with. Cause there are a lot of, you know, there's, there's, and this isn't what like my pastor is saying. So not to, not to conflate that, but there are a lot of these mega church type pastors out there who are putting um, it's propaganda, putting that type of propaganda out, which I think makes things very, very confusing. Um, like, like you said, Mark, you can't, you can't force God's hand and you, you can't even, I mean, you can't you can't give God like incentives. Be like, well, you come back a little sooner if if we do this, if we you know get things out of the way for you. It's 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 ridiculous. Um, but at least ha- you know having some of those conversations um, during you know you know during this recent Bible study that I joined. But it, but not just hearing that like um, you know that Twitter you know character limit limited response, being able to you know ask people a question and and have a back and forth. And being able to understand where people are coming from um, has helped me a lot. And it's made me a lot more uh, conservative on Twitter and in, in how I respond to people, especially with things you know, like talking about Israel. Because I think people need to be asked a question in a, in a way that is not you know, where they feel like they're being attacked. Where like, I feel like as soon as you, anyone logs on Twitter, 
it's like, all right, who's attacking me now? Who, who's 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 coming after me? You almost and can't help like it. This, I mean, it's like yeah, yeah. I, I find myself like just in my mind, innocently logging on to like see whatever, and next thing I know, I'm like, ah, like. <laughs> Yeah, me, me too. And I, I don't, I, that's just like what it is. I, I don't know. I don't think it's fixable. That's just what Twitter is. But I, I've kind of, kind of learned that that's, that's not really probably healthy for the way that we develop our opinions on other human beings. And uh, yeah, also just having a, 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 good, a great appreciation for a real in life conversation where you can see people's mannerisms facial reactions to what you say, um, these things that are really important to the way humans interact. And I think something that we're going to talk about later with, uh, with AI, I think it'll tie into that as well, but it's something that's kind of becoming lost on a lot of society. And to go back to COVID, like, I mean, you've talked about COVID so much on this show, um, which kind of, I think maybe sped that up was, was the masking, especially with, you know, young children, especially during develop, uh, developmental years, very important developmental years, weren't able to see um, those very important facial reactions. And what does a smile mean? Oh, the different types of smiling. Is that a genuine smile? As, as, as you learn how to read people and not being able to do that during your, your youth. I mean, I don't think we're going to know the full impacts of COVID and the masking for maybe a couple decades. Um, well, if you just think about how, how many kids spent two years online. I'm not even just talking about online schooling. Mm -hmm. I just mean like two years where depending on where they were, uh, a lot of parents simply wouldn't let their kids out for two years. And yeah. when we think about what we talked about earlier with becoming reliant on alcohol, I wonder how many kids become so reliant on interacting online, on interacting with social media, which is a totally different kind of reaction, but it, it, it kind of interaction. But if they become reliant on how that interaction works, if they spend two years on Twitter, maybe they don't, because I think you and I grew up in sort of the in-between phase where we sort of were there for the transition between living online and not living online. But I think mm -hmm. by the time we were really doing a lot online, we were fully adults and, and we knew the difference at least, even if we're, even if we all spend too much online, we at least still have this conception that, what goes on online is is a different thing than real life. I think we can still separate it a little bit, but imagine kids that are growing up almost entirely online and then they go into the quote-unquote real world, whatever that is at this point. Uh, I don't know how that's going to affect their interactions with other people, but I can't imagine it's positive. Yeah, and you know that's an interesting point that you bring up. Um, people our age are whatever this is, like in-between generation. There's between, some phrase for it, but you know, like I said, we, we explain things poorly here, so I'm not, I'm not sure what yeah, the phrase it's, is. Well it's, well, it's millennial and Generation X, and so they call it, I don't know how you say it, an, an X Millennials? Axials, I don't know, um, whatever it is. But th there's, there's something to that, and not to like toot our own horn and say that we're the smartest people in the world, but um, I think the circumstances that, like you just explained there, that we grew up in give us sort of the ability to have some insight on both sides of the fence, being able to understand it because we've, we've lived through it. Um, like you just explained, we, we lived through this time before the internet. We remember the time when if you were, if you were waiting for something, if you're waiting in line to get into a movie or if you're, you know, waiting for your mom to pick you up after practice, what, what did you do? If you don't have any friends there, you'll just stare at stuff. Like yeah, you just throw a rocket, do something. stuff, or think <laughs> about things, or like I don't even know what yeah. I did. Something, and I yeah, also think you, about you too. Like you didn't pull.
Today's episode is sponsored by Fox and Sons Coffee. And let me just tell you, Stephen of Fox and Sons, he is not just an advertiser. He has been a supporter of this show from day one. And frankly, since before day one, because he came over with me from the old Lions and Liberty days. So true a fan of the show. He started this company, Fox and Sons, out of his love for coffee and really out of wanting to further bond with his sons and spend time with him, just like he shared time with his father drinking coffee. Uh, he also gets to teach his sons about entrepreneurship entrepreneurship and business through this endeavor. So I'm so happy to have Stephen and really his whole family, the Fox and the Sons, the whole gang as a supporters and sponsors of this show. Not only that, his beans are so high quality, fresh. Look, I just got two new bags right here. I got the Mexican and my favorite, the Den Blend Dark. The beans are super high quality, fresh and sourced from small organic farms, fair trade. None of this GMO garbage. They're all small batch roasted. This is high quality stuff. Subscriptions are by far the best way to get your coffee. I have a couple subscriptions going, uh, but that is the way to go. You never run out that way. I never run out. I always have my supply of Fox and Sons. So I want you to head over to foxandsons.com. Put in your order today. They ship fast. They ship now through the end of February. Also, by the way, you're going to get free shipping on any order over $37.99. By the way, while you're there, use discount code MCS to get 18% off any order over $25. Stephen Fox is a great man, a great friend, great supporter of the show. I encourage you to check out his coffee over at foxandsons.com. You didn't pull your phone out of your pocket and just start mindlessly scrolling. Like Mm -hmm. maybe it was dumb stuff we were doing, but you had to like figure out a way to pass the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there's there's a real value in understanding like that is a a part of the human existence that really is rapidly going away. We're like, we are not figuring out and really intentionally, you know, th- considering how we're going to invest our time, even in mundane things like waiting for the bus or, you know, waiting in line at TSA or whatever it is. Everyone just goes right into the mindless scroll. I do it too. I mean, the mindless scroll on your phone. We don't talk to the people around us. Then on the other side of the fence, the the, the young people who have never had to do that. Mm-hmm. They've they've mm-hmm. never had to to pass the time. They never that had way. to make small and, talk. Yeah, and I, I shouldn't say never because um, and I know there's a lot of parents who are doing the same thing as as my wife and I are doing with our daughter, is that you know, we really limit her her you know, exposure on or using of devices. Like she has a, a Chromebook that's just for school. I mean, she does her schoolwork on it. You know, we'll let her, you know, play her, you know, games or whatever, math games that she's doing on there on it. She doesn't have an iPad. Like when we go on car trips and we go on long car trips, like when we go to the beach, it's like 10 hours. She doesn't have an iPad. She doesn't watch movies and she has to figure out how to entertain herself. She She reads a lot now, which is awesome. But before she could read, she would just figure out games. So she has this great imagination. Mm-hmm. And a lot of kids today, unfortunately, they're not developing an imagination. And that's another thing. We're not going to know like what that's going to mean in the long term until this plays out for a while. But like when you don't like, because when I was a kid growing up, you know, but playing with my Ninja Turtles or, you know, whatever it was, you'll just think of crazy stuff to do with them and move them around the house and you'd have you know, different things that you're doing. Or I remember playing you know, shooting the basketball in my backyard by myself, pretending that I was, you know, playing in a game. And I think it's important to exercise that imagination muscle because later in life, you do things like this, like Mark Claire, 
you start a podcast and you think of ideas on who should I talk to and I should bring on these interesting people and you're creative. You, you've exercised that creative muscle and it's strong. Um, kids today that are relying on being fed information, they're reactive. They're more reacting to things. And I'm not like a, you know, I'm not a psychologist. So I'm not, I don't know what this means long term, but certainly can't be a good thing. Yeah, I hadn't really thought as much of that aspect of it. I think a lot about the social interaction issues and what it does to, you know, the dopamine hits in our brains. But there's also something deeper there, maybe, because you know, I, I was, I essentially was an only child. I have an older sister, but she was 12 years older than me. So by the time I was five, she was already off to college. So I essentially, like, you know, spent a lot of time with myself growing up. And I was always, and like I said, no internet. No, this didn't, wasn't even, ex, didn't even exist. Occasionally I would get to go to the movie store and like pick out a video or something. But for the most part, like I had an array of action figures and boy, there were storylines galore. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just dreamed up these entire scenarios. And I think about now, I wonder what, like you said, flexing that muscle, like as a, as a young man uh, for through all my youth, constantly flexing it. Cause I spent so much time alone and so much time dreaming up things. And like, I wrote stories, I did all this stuff because there was nothing else to do. So I, of course, I just, I just dreamed things up. And I wonder now how much of that creative muscle doesn't get flexed for, for children that are just, when, when they have that boredom, it's just straight to the internet, straight to get fed whatever it is, fed that the dopamine hits, fed this, fed the things that they would normally have to create for themselves. Like I created my own dopamine, dopamine hits off the wild you know storylines I was creating or whatnot, but mm -hmm. then it's just getting fed to them. And I wonder as adults, how much that's going to dull their creative ability. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, we could we could go deep into this because you know people might um, you know counter what we're saying and say, well, you know, kids today are creative. They're creating reels on Instagram or or TikToks or or you know or this or that. And yeah, there are, there are some doing that, but they're creating in a way to um, to meet the demands of an algorithm. Right, <laughs> like right, they're right. not creating just to create. They're not even meeting um, human demands. Somewhat. <laughs> I mean, like you said, what? they're meeting the demands of an algorithm. They're not meeting the exactly. demands of humans. We, we, we equate them as the same. We equate them as, well, the algorithm figures out what, what we want. And then therefore, but there's something I think deeper to that. And I think at some point the algorithm controls us more than we control the algorithm. Yeah. And I think, are we past that now? We, we might be we, past I, that. What's, what's, say what's we the are. term? What's the, the singularity? Term yes. Yeah, the singularity. I mean, I had Amari, um, Amari Sachet, Amari Sachet, I should say, pronouncing it properly uh, on last year. To, to, and he said, basically, yeah, we are past the singularity for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when, when you start thinking about it that way, I, I think we, we probably are. I mean, the algorithm, the Twitter algorithms, you know, determining the political news that we see, the converse, you know, these conversations that make us angry because the, the anger leads to engagement and, um, seems like I, I see less and less of things that I agree with on, uh, on, on Twitter. But yeah, it's, I mean, to get back to kids creating, yeah, they're creating a meeting algorithm and, and they're creating, like you just talked about, they're creating for dopamine. Like they want the, those likes. They want like those great, comments. They're creating. They want it's engagement. It's, it's as if like, you know, if they were teenagers and they're like, oh, little Johnny's creating so much and look what, he, look what he's creating. Oh, he's, he's, he's uh, selling heroin is what he's doing. He's selling heroin to people. Like, oh, well, but he's creating. I mean, it's almost the same thing. I mean, quite honestly, yeah. it is because dopamine is a hell of a drug. It is. It's, and it's addictive, addictive as hell too. And, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but to get back to what I was saying at the beginning of this path down this, uh, this winding road that, that we started talking about with, uh, you know, our, our generational view of this, 
Um, I think that we do have a unique viewpoint because we've seen both sides and we can take a step back and really outline some of these stark realities that are, uh, that are manifesting. And I don't think we can stop them. You know, I really don't, <laughs> nobody can stop what's coming, but we can, uh, you know, kind of, kind of wave, wave the flag and try to get people to at least look at it and, uh, you know, maybe make some of these changes. People who have yet to have kids or maybe have young kids now, you know, the, uh, the smallest, uh, you know, the smallest government is, is your own home. So controlling what happens in, in your own home, you know, I think is the most important thing. Influencing, you know, what your children see, what they read, how they interact with others, um, and using what we've learned from having this unique vantage point of these, you know, this really split in uh, how people are, how people engage with, with content where it's changed from engaging with the content, watching the TV, listening to the radio, to really becoming the product and being controlled uh, by by the content. So just being cognizant of that, I think, gives us a leg up on raising kids and uh, and things of that nature. So I don't think we can stop what's coming, but maybe we can we can inform the next generation and, and maybe maybe stop a mass extinction event of uh, of humans from happening. I don't know. Well, I think that's that's the only way you can really look at it because I mean, doesn't matter what you or I think at the end of the day. Like neither neither of us are stopping AI. Neither of us are stopping its its prolific. I mean, it's crazy. Just in the last year, heck, I use AI in a number of ways that I never even imagined I would a year ago. I never even thought about using it a year ago, and even I can't even avoid it in cer- certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's really become pervasive very quickly. And when uh, you had me on your show last year, you asked me about this. This was actually from a, a tweet that our mutual friend Buck Johnson tweeted saying, and he basically said within a year, he thinks we'll see AI girlfriends. And you asked me about that maybe a few weeks later. That was all less than a year ago, Odie. And yeah. I think we both saw this on, on Twitter the other day. I love how we just collectively are all agreed to call it Twitter. Uh, and, and it was actually a company promoting AI girlfriends. So less than, I mean, some people were saying, well, I think Buck might be on the right track, but that's not going to happen in the, in the next year. Nope. It's, it's already here uh, faster than even he or you or I predicted. So mm-hmm. uh, there's no question here, but what did you, what did you think when you saw that pop up? Yeah, I, I was, I wasn't surprised when I saw it pop up, but when I started looking into it and uh, so the guy who tweeted it, he's the founder of the, uh, the Digi app, D-I-G-I. And what he's doing is creating, what they are doing is creating AI romantic companionship. So I wasn't surprised that they're going down this this path. Um, just to talk about this this younger generation for a minute. Um, uh, I was listening to a podcast, the the AI Breakdown podcast, which the only reason I'm listening to it is try to figure out what the heck's going on in the field. But um, there's something is it called, created uh, by AI. What, what's that? Is the podcast created by AI? It should be. It, it probably will really eventually be, be. But uh, there's uh, so character AI. Um, which is another platform, claims that more than 20 million people are spending upwards of two hours a day um, engaging with you know, artificial intelligence, which, which is kind of crazy. These artificial characters, uh, not necessarily romantically, except I don't think they offer that kind of ro- romantic interaction on a character AI. But this Digi app is specifically for romantic um, interaction, for romantic companionship. And they try to make they're they're trying to make them like these you know Pixar characters, these 
Disney princesses. And the scary thing to me is like, they're really putting the thought into it. And the guy talks about this during, during the tweet thread, this uh, Andy, Andy Halbum, I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, the, the founder of, uh, of Digi talks about like one of his main points is we need to have a progression. Like he, he references other older apps who like don't have like an actual romantic progression. They just go into, oh, you're in a relationship with this AI girlfriend and you can talk about whatever. But they, he's like, they're being intentional where you start as friends and you build this relationship and then <laughs> can you, you get friends to girlfriend. The AI? Yeah, and it's, but it's, it's, it's crazy because that is like human behavior. That's what humans want. So mm-hmm. they want the pursuit. Exactly. They want that progress. Humans need progress. That's why so many people are unhappy in their life. They have no progress. I mean, that's why even in, even in video games, like, you know, it's not like you just turn on the game and you win. Like, no, they make a series of challenges yeah. because you need to feel, even when they're creating this artificial environment, we need to, in our core, feel like we've accomplished something, even if it's just pressing buttons and, and you know, accomplishing whatever tasks they laid out for in this game. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll build in like, like fights, like this AI girlfriend's going to probably pick fights with you. <laughs> like, so what, what, why are you wearing that shirt? Why'd you say that? Looks, <laughs> that shirt looks terrible on you. You should wear this shirt from this company. And that's how the ads come in. I don't know. Maybe, but, <laughs> but it's, and, I, and he, he talks about like, well, how do you get the AI to, for the, you know, the, the, the movements, the, uh, the imagery that you're seeing to align with what the AI is saying. Yeah, like how do you make like her the, give you that look? That look we all know. Like how do you, exactly. how, do you how do you mimic that? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's and I'm sure they will. They'll figure it out because there's there's a market for it. And you know, I talked about recently on my show, the same show when I was talking about AI, is that most people, like some like eighty percent of people, are if they're meeting in a relationship, they're meeting through online dating in some capacity. And when I posted on Facebook about it a while ago, there were a lot of people who were like, well, kind of met online. Like we met through a Facebook friend or we met. So, so even like people who are meeting like in person are still mm-hmm. um, almost, almost meeting online. There's very little in-person, uh, you know, just cold Initiation. from start to finish romantic pursuit. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a, it is pretty interesting how, I mean, I think even having this conversation about AI girlfriends, I, I'm starting to think, well, it won't be that long before we finally look upon the day that people used to just, at least they were meeting real people online, you know, at least, yeah, maybe they're meeting online and then, they, but there's a real person there and perhaps we'll be like, oh man, I, I miss the old days when people were meeting humans <laughs> online and now, now they're just meeting AI. I, I think that's, that's where we're heading. And to get back to the the generation, you know, the, the generational aspects we were talking about, so many young people, their life is online. So, and there's apparently there's this thing out there where there's a lot of young people having relationships online where you never meet in person. Like mm-hmm. that's that's happening. I don't know like percentages, but that that shocked me. So how how, how hard is it to go from that? to a relationship, maybe somebody you meet on TikTok and maybe you grow up in Pennsylvania, they live in California and you have this, you know, this, this online courtship or maybe you're video chatting, but you're not actually meeting in person. How hard is it to go from that to an AI girlfriend? Well, it's certainly less of a leap going from traditional in-person relationship where you're sitting down across from a table, holding hands, you know, looking each other in the eye. 
that's a lot longer leap than you know having a, a fully online um, relationship. So I, I I don't think for a lot of people it's going to be you know that big of a thing. Plus, you like start baking in the other ingredients here. You have you know a lot of men out there who something like a quarter of men who are twenty five to to forty have n- never been in a relationship with a with a woman. Wow, which which is crazy. Um, that is scary. North, north is of twenty percent of men in that. And I'm citing stats that are not exact. These are things that I've heard that I don't have written down in front of me. But north of 20% of men have never approached, of, of men 25 to, to 40, somewhere around that range, maybe 25 to 35, have never approached a woman in public, like to ask her out. Even just so, that, forget it, forget like being successful with the woman or what have you. Just the value of approaching women and getting rejected, just getting rejected yeah. and learning to get rejected and learning that life goes on and is fine after that is a huge lesson that I think uh, men especially get a lot of in their youth. Uh, and I think that's something else that might be lost that that is going to be difficult to translate to adulthood when you get that first job rejection or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it may be when you when you fail at something and you're not used to that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think there's a lot too why we say these younger generations are, are, are soft and they're so sensitive because they, they're afraid of rejection and they're not out there actively being rejected. And that's a real thing. And, you know, I've talked about earlier, like when are we going to see the impacts from this? Like, I think in, in the job space, in the corporate America space, there's already HR departments trying to figure out, well, you know, how do we retain employees? You know, little Timmy quit last week because... You know, his boss was, you know, said some things to him that just sad. didn't go right. And it's like, we have to, so th- that's, that's happening. Those conversations are happening in HR departments on how to be sensitive to younger generation. Well, you and know the- who's not going to be sensitive? AI. And I think it's going <laughs> to yes. only accelerate the use of AI and automation and all this stuff because they, yes. they're not going to cry and, you know, you know, shake their finger at their boss for calling them the wrong name or what have you. I was just reading about that yesterday. I forget where. So find the article yourself. Just Google it. I'm sure you can find it. But it was talking about that exact same thing that these HR departments are going to figure out, oh, what? Well, not the HR departments. The CFOs are going to figure out what costs less money. Dumping all this money. HR is going to be AI anyway. So (laughs) they're not going to figure anything out. What costs less money? Having HR that's AI or paying these idiots to uh, to talk and have meetings that amount to nothing? Um, yeah, that's so that's that's the direction things are going. And kind of like my, my viewpoint on this whole thing, or maybe not viewpoint, but something that is concerning, um, something we should all be thinking about, is like ultimately a lot of people in the free market space. I don't know what you call yourself today, Mark. Um, in this space where we're, you know, <laughs> generally capitalists, right? You know, generally we think capitalism is good. Um, I think we're figuring out that capitalism is is not enough, right? And you know, we have to be able to make make judgments uh, outside of you know what what makes money. Um, there's things that can make money that can be pretty damn terrible um, for society. And then, you know, that's not to say that I think we need to, you know, throw people in prison who are doing some of these things. Maybe we do eventually. I don't know. I'm not going to not going to say we don't need to. Um, but it's it's not it's not enough. And it's so crazy. Like, think back on, you know, us growing up as libertarians when every answer was so simple. Oh, just, you know, we just need the free market. Uh, we just need to get the government out of the way. 
You know, you just need to, you know, not not hurt people, not take their stuff. It's so simple. That's all you need to do. I'm the most consistent motherfucker around. Sorry, Dave Smith. Um, you just need to. You just Dave need gets to do a pass, that. just like Ron Ball gets a pass. We all agree. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I think I don't I don't even know if Dave says it anymore because I think Dave has come to the understanding that things are a lot more a lot more nuanced than uh than we and all thought they were. It, I feel like I haven't heard him actually say those words that much. Maybe yeah. I'm just yeah, I don't know. I don't want to I take words to his podcast. Yeah, I don't think I've heard it. I feel like it's gone down a little bit. Yeah. not to say you're not consistent, Dave. <laughs> exactly, but. Yeah, there's and, and I mean for me, you know, to go to tie everything together here, like I think, you know, what we need is we need Christianity. We need we need Christian values. I mean, we we need we need something a foundation to uh to build upon. Um you know, I don't think that should be forced on anybody. Of course not. Um to 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 bring out my, my libertarian streak there. And it wouldn't work if it was. As soon as you start forcing religion on people, that it's not, I mean, it's not religion anymore. That just becomes you know, authoritarianism. And that's not the way to go. But we, we need to have conversations around these ideas we're talking about. And is this the best thing for humanity? And I don't know if you listen to that uh, Twitter spaces, once again, calling it Twitter. I've never been in a Twitter space in my life, and I, I plan to keep that up. Well, I don't know why. I've been I just, in I, like I, four. I see him, and I'm like, I don't want to be involved in this. It seems weird to me. I don't know why. I was in one. I like when, podcasts uh, where I'm sitting on a in front of my camera, and there's one to two other people there. That's what I'm comfortable with. You're also waving around a pair of scissors. Anyone watching I'm, the video? For some reason, I'm waving around scissors. I have no <laughs> idea why. I literally just, as you're talking, and just picked up these scissors and decided to wave them around. But that's I, why you got to watch the video, guys. You miss me waving scissors around. That's while. the creative streak in us. I have some magnets that I'm playing that's with. That's because I was that's... bored as a kid. So I would pick up random sharp objects and flail them about. Exactly. You got to find a way to pass the time. That's, that's why I fidget. But I forget what I was talking about now. Um, hmm. Me too. We got the, the to scissors tie really everything together. <laughs> Christianity can't force the scissors really throw everything off. Well, maybe this will tie into what I was going to ask you because I mean yeah. I think you. It sounds to me like you. I'm not saying you're past libertarianism. You're still libertarian. You do a libertarian podcast and all that. It just sounds to me like you're thinking a little bit beyond it in some ways as as sort of the be all end all. Because I think for you and I both for many years, it's it's it was just the easiest fallback. Oh. What's what's your nuanced opinion on this political issue? Oh, just get the government out of the way. That's the whole problem. It's the easiest way to sound like an asshole and sounds like sound like you know it all while actually providing nothing of substance yeah. whatsoever. Uh, so it sounds like you're trying to go a little bit outside and provide some substance in some other areas, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So perhaps you can lead into this, uh, take my lead here and tell people a little bit about what you've been doing with Finding Freedom uh, since I've left, <laughs> since you moved your show to my old Monday spot. Now, but now, I mean, now, now Mondays are great. I mean, you got to double header you got john odermatt and finding freedom you got mark claire and, and on, i don't know which one of us drops first mine drop at 6 a.m so you might even be earlier than me i drop before you but i'm going to start dropping at 601 so i show up in the <laughs> feed before you when people wake up in the morning I'm all right perfect. just kidding i won't do that um yeah so li libertarianism i apparently i'm still a member of the libertarian party of pennsylvania <laughs> because i had my freaking uh credit card on auto pay and they just charged me again I planned on Fuckers. not renewing, but anyway. Sounds like a very libertarian thing to do. Well, you checked the box, <laughs> so we didn't we didn't bother you had a contract, sir. Yeah. That's that's a battle for a uh, for another time. 
But like, do I consider myself a libertarian? I I, I don't even know. I, I'm just sick of like. I like how I didn't even ask that question, and you went right yeah. into it. So go continue. Yeah, I mean, well, I kind of have to answer that question internally for myself in order to get That's to where true. I'm going. I guess. That's um, why I'm here. Yeah, I, I I guess more so. Like, I just don't believe in politics as a way to change anything. Sure, you can change little things. You know, maybe you can legalize, you know, a, a drug that's putting people, nonviolent people in prison. Maybe you can do things like that, which I think net have a, have a good effect. So yeah, maybe there's things worth voting on, things worth paying attention to. But like as a whole, Libertarian Party, Republican Party, um, you know, Democrat Party, that's the, they're just demons, something worth talking about. But it's, yeah, there's just, maybe there's little things that, that, that are worth really getting involved in um, from time to time. Maybe your local school board or something like that, or your you know, local uh, county commissioner would, might be worth taking a look at. But outside of that, it's just a, a giant distraction. Um, you're not going to change where they're spending their money, how they're spending their money. You're not going to change how they're invading your privacy. You're not going to change any of those things. All you're going to do is make yourself upset and angry, probably um, probably piss off your family and friends, and people aren't going to want to be around you because you're talking about it all the time. And it's it, it, it's just not ultimately it's it's not going to lead us anywhere productive. So, and people will say that, well, John, I heard you on your show. You were talking about Donald Trump saying this or Joe Biden saying that. Of course, because we live in a world where that stuff is reported, and people say things, and I'm going to react to it, and. I guess primarily my takeaway on like the political realm is mostly entertainment. Um, yeah, mostly there just for to provide commentary and to give you know, my my general view on you know where where I see this fitting into um, you know the, the grand scheme of things. So from that from that side of it, I'll look at politics from that angle. Um, I don't know if um, like I said, I'll, I'll vote from time to time where where it makes sense. I don't think it really makes sense to vote for a president. Um, unless maybe you think it could make it more entertaining somehow. If you think your vote matters that much. <laughs> that almost sounds like an endorsement of sorts. <laughs> well, we got a, f- a few more minutes before we go into the main show. So why don't we? Why don't we just get your thoughts on, I mean, you do a political podcast. Why don't we get your thoughts on politics, on what's going on with the presidential race? Do you think they're going to boot Trump out of this whole thing? Do you think it's all part of the show? What, do you, what is your analysis of, of everything that's been unfolding these last you know, 18 months? I, uh, you know, I, I, you have two if, minutes. I, if I had, I feel like I had such a better handle on this in 2016. It was such a, the world was so much more simple. Simpler times. Um, and I think you and I both around the same time recognized that, you know, Donald Trump really had a good, good chance of, uh, of winning. And I think we both made that prediction, uh, which in hindsight, looking back on that, I'm surprised they let him win. I'm still not sure what happened there, but like to, yeah, for the, for the modern landscape of it, I'm really thinking that Joe Biden will not be on the ballot in November. And I'm kind of thinking Donald Trump's not going to be on it either. And I think the the Republicans are doing all they can to get Nikki Haley in there. And the Democrats will somehow get Gavin Newsom or some sort of Gavin Newsom type character um, to stand in for, for Joe Biden. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do it, but I know that the people who are in control, the, the Larry Finks, you know, the, the Black Rocks of the world, these individuals who control the world, essentially, they um, have all of the control of all of the money. Um, 
they probably don't want to risk having a Joe Biden presidency where, you know, they're having to, to deal with an administration where I don't think there's one person who's, who's really calling the shots. And I think it's a lot easier to persuade the public, to man- manipulate the public. If you have a strong, at least uh, someone who can speak eloquently, like a Barack Obama, somebody who's not stuttering and stammering and you're losing trust in all the institutions. And I, I don't think they want that. I don't think they want people losing trust in the presidency. So I, I don't think they'll, they'll put Biden back up. Does that mean that a scandal takes Biden out? Does that mean that Joe Biden mysteriously gets an illness and can't run for president? Does that mean that Joe it Biden certainly mysteriously wouldn't be dies? hard to come up with a believable reason? You just say, look yeah. at him. He's done. It could be anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's well, he's one speech to, away from, I've talked to my wife. It's the best for our family, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's going to exactly. go, oh, yeah, he's old. Yeah. yeah. So it's very easy to see that he's not going to be on the ballot. I, I would, I'm reaching the point that I would be shocked if he is on the ballot in November. When it comes really? to Trump, well, like, I, I don't know. Um, I think the, the, and it's, it's coming as much from the Republicans as it is, if not more from the Republicans than from the Democrats trying to get Trump off the ballot in Colorado that came from Republicans trying to get Trump off the ballot. Um, it's just like, wh- what do they have to worry about? Do they have to, would there, I, I don't, I think even if they somehow disqualified Trump from running for president, I don't think there would be a civil war. You'll see these Trump supporters saying, well, it'd be a civil war if you do that. I, well, I don't think so. I mean, they brought there was a civil houses. war. I was just going to say that they, <laughs> they locked you all down for two years and no one lifted a finger. So mm, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Not that I want that either. It's far more likely that they do that. They disqualify Trump and Nikki Haley gets up there and says, well, this is terrible that you've disqualified president Trump. This isn't the right way to do things, but vote for me and I'll make sure this never happens again to another um, Republican candidate. And then, you know, half the Trump supporters will say, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we'll vote for you. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the Trump. That's like the huge wild card. Someone who has al- aligned themselves in a very interesting spot is uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, where, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, where he's kind of put himself in this position where all the Trump people love him. Plus, he has this segment of the population, a lot of young people. He's very active on TikTok and, um, Instagram and you, you know, you see him and he's got the uh, Hindu vote locked down. I imagine. I don't know. Nikki Haley. I don't might know have he's that. Hindu. I, that might've been. I think they're uh, both. Aren't Nikki Haley part. and uh, Vivek both at least of Hindu backgrounds. I think they're both Indian. Cause there was Nikki a big Haley exchange. Is? There's a exchange. Nikki Haley's half, half Indian. Yeah. Huh. I had no idea. Um, Cause I don't see her. race and uh, that sort of thing, John. Yeah, exactly. Well, Vivek I called her Vivek out. was from the Bronx and I don't know anything. <laughs> Vivek called her out because uh, she changed her name to Nikki and, you know, gave up on her heritage. Uh, what is Vivek her original name? Like, like, yeah, Nikolakawaka or something? Something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't see race for the joke like that. I see. <laughs> <laughs> what race was I referring to? I can't think of one, at least not one she looks like. Anyway, John, uh, for more of the, I'm sure you're gonna, you guys are going to be talking about this a lot, especially as uh, election season, not just heats up. I mean, we're about to get caucuses and votes. I can't even believe this is happening. So, I encourage everyone for, because I don't do it too much here. We dip in occasionally, but to follow politics from the libertarian perspective and a bunch of other stuff that you've been getting into, Odie, why don't you give everybody the full uh, roundabout of everywhere they can find what you're doing if it lines liberty. Yeah, you can find uh, Lions of Liberty and my show, Finding Freedom, on every podcasting app. Um, if you just want my show, um, there's a separate feed for that. Just search Finding Freedom and John Odermatt will show up anywhere. 
Um, Lions of Liberty, easy to find. Just type in Lions of Liberty and you get my show, Brian's show. And on Fridays, we do a show called Meme Wars where we just look at memes and we talk about them. It's uh, not complicated. Um, we also talk about some current events and stuff like that. So it's meant to be a lighter show, a little bit of comedy just to uh, set you on your way for the weekend. Um, you know, you can follow us on YouTube, Rumble. YouTube, we're pretty much shadow banned still. Have a bunch of subscribers, but you know, nobody sees our videos, which, uh, which sucks. But uh, yeah, I mean, what I'm getting into, like the most on my show now is um, talking a lot of health, bringing on guests, talking about health, um, talking about pharmaceutical companies. I just had on um, Anthony Samerhoff, who, who you had on recently as well, talk, talking about that. Um, so in the new year, I'll, I'll be doing more of that. Um, I need to see you two in person sometime because you might be one of the tallest people I've ever met and he's one of the shortest. So that would be fun for me. Yeah, we, we've we've met in person and uh, I've never, never felt taller. He's, uh, Could you I just hear anything to... he was saying down there? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually hard to hear him. No offense, Anthony, Anthony. We love you. Speak he would take these jokes in stride. He's a, he's a fun he's a fun guy himself. So uh, yeah, John, it's been awesome having you on. I encourage everyone to follow Finding Freedom, Lions Liberty. Check it all out. Uh, Twitter, by the way. I know you're active on Twitter. Make sure you dish that before we go. Twitter at John Odermatt. Find me there. There you go. That's it. Well, you can find John there and you can also find him in the smoke-filled room for Mark Claire Show Premium subscribers where we're going to go right now. 